Jesus is at the very heart and center of Christmas. Because God's solution to our biggest problem and our greatest fears, all of them, are all wrapped up in that little manger and that baby, Jesus. You see, the Christmas story is the wonder of of how God took on flesh and stepped down into our world to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that is to take care of our sin problem that separates us from a holy God that is a far bigger problem than economic problems and health care and financial investments. Nothing compares to the problem of our sin problem between us and a holy God that separates us. And on a horizontal level, it's that sin problem that all of us are innately born with that creates such havoc and brokenness and confusion between us and other people all around us. So maybe this Christmas more than most, maybe you're thinking to yourself, if you're alive at all and you watch the news at all, if you pay attention at all, maybe you're thinking this year more than most, I don't see, I just don't see how there could be a good God in the midst of a world like this, that is so constantly being jarred by the atrocities of evil, that so regularly shatter any kind of peace we start to feel and any kind of hope we start to have for mankind. The last month, the whole month where we think of Thanksgiving and a holiday and That whole month was shattered, right? As we watched the horrors that the media brought us of footage of the attacks in Paris. And if you were like me, some of what just really made me feel just icy cold was the systematic and cruel way. Just the level that it was so systematic and cruel how the terrorists carried out what they did. And it wasn't even 30 30 days later when we've got a husband and wife, a husband and wife, a couple who march into a holiday office party and open fire on 80 employees, leaving 14 dead, 22 injured, and a nation once again shaking its head and asking, what is wrong? With us. And if there is a God, if there is a God, what is He doing about all this? In fact, the day after the shooting, on December 3rd, the New York Daily News put into print what so many people found themselves thinking. Right across the front page, bold letters, the headline said, God isn't fixing this. And on that same front page, they clustered around that headline some tweets that political leaders had shot out saying that they were praying for the victims and the families that were involved in the shooting. And the article went on to say, and I quote, prayers aren't working. And then the hashtag, God isn't fixing this, 
began to trend on Twitter and all over social media. So what should we think about God in the midst of so much evil that is in our world today? Does God see the mess we're in and does God care? But even if you allow, yeah, he sees, he cares. There's really a bigger question that if you're alive at all, you're really asking Great, maybe there's a God, maybe he even cares, but I need to know, is God doing anything to fix this and to ultimately stop all the evil that seems to be sweeping across our world today and swallowing up entire cities and nations? I don't think it's just me. I'm not ancient, but I'm 52 And I don't think it's just that we have a media awareness that allows us to know more than we ever used to know. That is true. We are able to know more, more immediately than we used to know. But folks, it is more than that. Things are worse. The level of evil, the things that are carried out, the heinousness of it. What we see is far worse than when I was seven years old. Far worse. Is there a God? Does he see the mess? Does he care? And is he doing anything to fix this or ultimately stop this evil? Well, there's a little book in the Bible that answers all those questions. Because it throws a spotlight on Jesus Christ and moves us past the manger scene. You got to get past the manger scene and on to who he really is, and why he came to this earth. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 22. Colossians 1 verse 22. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. That in all things, he might have the supremacy. For it pleased the Father that in him, all the fullness should dwell. And by him, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made Peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. Has God done anything to fix this problem of evil? Well, from the verses that we just read, 
I want to show you what God is doing to fix this problem and how it started at the manger. But oh, God's plan and purposes have been moving through people and history and nations for over 2,000 years now. We are way past the manger scene and much closer to an ultimate solution for evil than you might imagine. You see, that baby in the manger went on to live the only perfect life, fully keeping all of God's commands, keeping his holy, perfect standard. And he went on to die the only perfect death. He was fully human and fully God. And therefore, his was the only death that involved not his own sins because he had none, but the sins of all those who would ever trust in him. Perfect life, perfect death. So that this problem of evil could be eradicated once and for all. His life, his death, his resurrection have done everything necessary for there to be peace on earth. As well as the complete eradication of all evil. And it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And if you're sitting there feeling Hard towards God that it hasn't come yet. Listen to me. It is God's enormous mercy and love that he has not returned yet. So that more may repent. So that more may trust in Christ. So that more may look to Christ. Because when he comes and makes all things right. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth and no more sin. There also will be no more opportunity for every single one of you here that are playing around, arrogantly saying, I've got plenty of time to think about important issues of life. Right now, I've got living to do and stuff and life's pretty good. I've got my own agenda. It is the mercy and love of our God that delays his return. But it's coming. Everything necessary to bring about peace And a complete eradication of evil has been done through Jesus Christ. But here's what you need to understand. Peace on earth can never happen until there's peace between us and God. And that's the message of the Christmas story. That's what Christmas is focused on. Jesus bringing us peace where we need it the most. And that's peace between us and God that is a much bigger foundational problem than any of the conflicts we have between each other around us. Even conflicts on a grand scale of like what you see in Eastern Europe with ISIS just creating destruction and chaos and fear and confusion across entire borders and nations and cities. Listen, until there's peace between us and God, there will never be peace between us And other people around us. That's what Colossians 1 verse 20 is talking about. Look at verse 20 again. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him whether things on earth or things in heaven. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now that verse is not talking about peace between different ethnicities. It's not talking about peace between different economic statuses or educational levels 
or gender. It's talking about something so much bigger that swallows all of that up and makes it look like child's play. It's talking about peace with God. The same peace that Romans 5.1 was talking about when it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we get this peace? How do we get this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? And how did Jesus purchase this peace for us? Well, it came at a great cost to him and to the Father. Look at it in verse 21 and 22. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross is what purchased our peace with God. And so the Christmas hymn that we already sang earlier in our service captures exactly what these verses are talking about when Charles Wesley wrote that we can be reconciled We can be reconciled with the God of the universe, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, reconciled. That's why Jesus came, not to inspire big family Christmas dinners. I love those. And I expect my mother will have my favorite blueberry dish for me. She better. She wants to see me next year. So I also like, it's, it's great if you've got those things where it's like, oh, it's that dish that so-and-so fixes. Oh, it's the smell of grandma's house. Maybe even the smell of grandma. Whatever it is that's, that's special to you. It's the road trip and where we stop. And all of those things can be enjoyable. Don't hear me throwing water on all that. God is so good that he gives us even these things to enjoy. But listen to me, all that is on the fringes of what Christmas is really all about. Jesus didn't come to just inspire family moments. He didn't just come, certainly not, to give us a reason to buy ourselves more stuff and everybody else we know more stuff. We all have enough stuff. Christmas is the mind-blowing announcement that God and sinners can be reconciled. There can be peace with God. Do you know how hard it is even on an earthly level? Many of you perhaps know where you just think, I don't know what to do next to make things right with this person. I've tried, I've tried that sister-in-law or that friend that used to be a friend or that supervisor or that boss, that coworker, And you just think, I don't know what to do next. It can be so difficult on a human level to even be reconciled with human beings. Folks, we're talking about being reconciled with the God of the universe. There was nothing you could have done to bring that about. And he's done for us what we could never do for ourselves and gave his son in payment so that we could be reconciled to him and have peace. Say, thank you, Jesus. That's what Christmas is really all about. But see, here's the problem. We live in a world now mm, 
We live in a world now where the meaning, the true meaning of Christmas is lost altogether. Because you just don't hear in public places or on TV anyone explaining this the way I'm explaining it to you right now. What you'll see on TV in public places almost always reduces Christmas down to a general sense of goodwill towards each other. And a renewed commitment that if we would just all try harder, we could make this a better place. Think about the commercials. Coca-Cola. I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm a theologian and I know I shouldn't buy into this, but I'm going there. Just, there's just this sense with the sparkle and the music. And it's like, I feel good. That polar bear makes me feel good. And that person got off the bicycle and popped open a Coca-Cola and handed it to someone of another nationality. And now they're all happy. It's like, this is going to change the world. If we could get this sugar brown water into the hands of everyone, there would be no more fighting and wars. It's Coca-Cola that will do it. Right? And they're paying some people. They're doing a great job. I'm just like, if I didn't know any better, I want some of that. I'm going to give it to other That's what the world does. It's like, this is how it's going to come about. I don't want to kill anybody after I drink this. No, no, you go. No, really, go ahead. No, you, you. I had a Coke. I had a Coke. I couldn't be happier. There's nothing else I want. Please, no, no. Think about how many of the commercials and songs and festivities just convey this sense that if we could just all hold hands and get our our breathing in unison and work hard together, we could change this world. Now, here's the problem. If you're old enough, if you're young, you may just still think, yeah. If you're old enough, you realize, but the world has been saying this for so long now. And there is more money being thrown towards the problems and more technology and more education and more classes and more brochures and more. Just put the word in front of more of everything they said was what needed to happen to fix this. And there's been more. And is it better? It's worse. Everything's worse. The breakdown of the family is worse. Abuse is worse. The the racial conflicts where entire ethnicities are wiping each other. It's worse, 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 worse. 30 years ago now, legendary musician Bob Dylan saw the fallacy of this kind of thinking. In 1985, which for some of you, that was just yesterday, okay? Not so long ago. In 1985, he joined with dozens of other musicians to be a part of a deal they did called Live Aid to raise money for famine in other countries. And this was on cutting edge because this was going to be beamed all over the world. Supposedly more people around the world watched this than anything that had ever happened before. Big, big, big deal. All the biggest names were part of this. And if you're old enough, then you remember the greatest moment when all the musicians packed that stage and this was beamed around the world as one giant choir. And they sang, we are the world. We are the children. Come on, bring it. We are the ones who make a brighter day. So let's start giving. Oh my goodness, the world loves those moments. They celebrate those moments and live for those moments, those warm and fuzzy, we can do it together moments that cause you to hope again in mankind. Here's what's interesting. 
After the concert, Bob Dylan surprised the press by saying he was very uncomfortable singing that song and standing on the stage and singing that with everybody. And when they pressed him as to why, he said, I'll tell you why. Because man cannot save himself. Bob Dylan understood the true meaning of Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. The fact that man cannot save himself. And just like so many things, our world has taken the very message that Christmas was designed and intended to communicate and turned it backwards. And Christmas has become become a season where you get inspired that yes, we can. Yes, we can. Together we can. But every year, at least at Christmas, should be a wake-up call that this is the reminder that no, we can't. Man cannot save himself. That's why Jesus came. That's why God took on flesh and left his splendors and the glory and laid aside his privileges and rights to become one of us to save us because we never could have saved ourselves. That's Christmas. But see, here's the problem. Because of our pride, even if you can get your head around and get to the point where you can say, all right, all right. Maybe we can't. Maybe we can't save ourselves. There's still another problem that rubs us, especially as Americans. Really rubs us, and it's this. It's the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus did not come to this earth to point the way. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. Other religions say, here's the way. But Jesus says, no, I'm the way. Other religions say, here's the truth. Follow it. Jesus says, no, I am the truth. Other religions say, here's how to be a righteous person. Follow our list. Do our things. Here's how to be a righteous person. Jesus says, no. Listen to me. This is what makes Christianity distinctly different in a category unto itself. Jesus says, no, I am your righteousness. And I purchased righteousness for you that's not your own in my death, burial, and resurrection. And it can be yours as a free gift when you put your trust in me. There is no other religion like that. None. No other religion gives us a God who comes down to us. A God who becomes righteousness for us. A God who says, this is the standard. You'll never get there, so I'll do it for you at great cost. But maybe you're still pushing a little and saying, but is Jesus really that essential? Is is he that central? Is it that important in solving our biggest problem? Really? Jesus? Well, again, Colossians chapter 1 doesn't leave us wondering and it does not leave Jesus on the margins as one of many options that you may choose to try and solve this biggest problem look at what it says in verse 17 and he is before all things and in him all things hold together do you know what that means It means when you step away from Jesus or you reject Jesus as Lord in your life, you fall apart. 
Maybe not immediately, and that's what's deceptive. You say, well, I'm doing fine. I want nothing to do with Jesus. My life is great. Just keep having birthdays, my friend. Just keep living. Just keep living. When you step away from Jesus or reject Jesus as Lord in your life, you fall apart. And conversely, the more you submit to Jesus Christ as Lord in every area of your life, the more your life will come together. And by come together, don't insert, oh, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. The king's kids go first class. You can watch that on TV. This is a pastor that teaches the Bible. By come together, I mean you can have internally a settledness, a rest, a sense of purpose, acceptance, love, joy, peace that is so much better than new cars and new houses and stuff. There are very unhappy people with all that that are in rehab. All you have to do is look at the sports figures and the musicians and the actresses and actors to figure that out. I'm talking about something better. Your life will start to come together, make sense. And you, you have a sense of purpose and you know why you're here and how you relate to the God of the universe. I'm not an oceanographer, but I do like to read. And I've read about fish and creatures that live at the bottom of the ocean, the very bottom, five miles down below the surface of the water. And what that means is that those creatures who live there were designed to live under tremendous pressure. So if you take one of those creatures and you bring it up above the surface of the water, or if you even begin to bring it up from the bottom several miles towards the top of the water where the pressure is not as great, do you know what happens to it? It explodes, blows to pieces. Because it was never designed to live there. Stay with me. As a human being created in the image of God with an eternal soul, you were never designed to live without Jesus. You can't. You were not designed to be autonomous, self-sufficient. That's your sin nature that screams Be autonomous, independent, self-sufficient. I have what I need. And then the world lies to you and says, yes, you have everything you need within you. You can solve things. You have answers. That is a lie. You're created in the image of God with an eternal soul. And you were never designed to live without Jesus. Your life will begin to blow apart. And some of you, some of you know what I'm talking about. You've already lived through the blow up. And God's been good enough to meet you, meet you right there with the pieces lying around and accept you, take you in your mess. Some of you, that's what brought you to Jesus Christ, the blow up. There's others of you here today, you don't believe me. But listen, it's coming. Apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot, you cannot live without him. And it's not just spiritually where you say, well, spiritually, he must be one of the answers for that spiritual side of me. But everything else about me, I can sort it out on my own. No, 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 you can't. Without Jesus Christ, you start to fall apart spiritually, emotionally, socially, physically. It impacts you on every level. Because in him, all things hold together. 
including you. And listen, here's where this is just amazing. God took on flesh in his son, Jesus Christ, and was blown apart. Never mind the manger. That was humbling. That was so humbling. I'll tell you what was worse. God took on flesh in his son, Jesus Christ, and was blown apart on the cross for you so that you wouldn't have to be. He was broken. He was bleeding. He was rejected. He took the wrath of God in our place so that we could be whole and have peace with God. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled.